0: This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We want to welcome our online listeners this morning. The title of our message is called The Old Man is Dead, which leaves us with the new man's probably alive but that is our message this morning the old man is dead let's talk about our theme for today people with pride take pride in the identities of the old man and rub their flesh in the face of Jesus Christ taking joy in the sufferings of others now there's a lot packed into that statement so taking pride in pride is the worst. So, when you are actually um, looking at all the identity factors, which we're going to look at a lot of those today, but when you start looking at the identity uh, items that come with the old man, and you start to take pride in those things, like I am a great doctor, or I'm a great farmer, or I'm a gr- whatever, will you take pride in? identities attached to the old man. It is the absolute worst of the worst. That was the number one thing if you remember that God said to Moses when Moses was calling out the identity of God. Someone want to remind us how God corrected Moses? He was up and he asked God what his name was, who he was, what his identity was. And God said, "For I, for I am the I am. I am the I am." If you look in the Hebrew there, God is sin, I am all the identities. If you say you're a carpenter, if you say that you are a preacher, if you say you're a medical doctor, if you say you're a mechanic, I am I ams. I am the identities. So for us to take a little time and talk about the identities that come with the old man is significant and the singular I am that comes with our new life in Christ. It's not plural identities. It is singular. And we need to talk about that. Here's what humble people do. People of humility and brokenness take joy in the ingrafting into Christ. A being formed and newly created in Christ, a living and abiding in Him and growing and bringing forth fruit through Him in order to suffer with others. The first guy is actually taking joy in suffering. The second guy is saying, no, I want to suffer with them. I believe prophetically that is where the church is going to be moved in the next five years. We're going to go from enjoying seeing our brothers and sisters suffer because somehow it proves that you're right and they're wrong. Some of us were even raised to laugh at the face of pain. The days coming very soon, it will be impossible. The type of suffering that is mixed with the oil of oppression and the psychological depression and the physical torment, it will be impossible for a laughter to come out of the mouth of those who mock Jesus Christ. I believe the greatest mockers in the history of this world will be humbled enough to bow down and say, without laughter, without the hideous laughter of pain and suffering, will say, Jesus Christ is God. As long as there's a little bit of laughter in there, that person is not broken. And there is a movement, I pulled up uh, at a restaurant this past week, and there was this big sign on the back window of this truck, and, and it said, fear this. And as I pulled up, I said, God, that's our country. That's us. We're not afraid of anything. We laugh in the face of suffering and pain and afflictions you people can put on us. You know what? That's arrogance. We have some huge issues in our church today that need to be addressed. Let's talk about adopting those identities. What types of identities does mankind adopt in our culture today? Well, you know, what do you do, what people tell you, who do you want to be like? We were talking about my childhood idol, my teenage idol, Alice Cooper. Sorry, Alice, if you ever get a chance to listen to this, it might be a good message for all of us. But I idolized him to the point of dressing like him, had my hair like him, couldn't get it that long. I did dye it (laughs) black, and I had pain around my eyes, and I had the famous... Cooper tears and I wanted him tattooed but I couldn't handle the pain but I would have tattooed the Alice Cooper that's how taken in I was of this idol later being led to ask to disciple Alice Cooper after he got saved which I thought was actually absolutely humorous of God to my very childhood idol would become a disciple lead The ridiculousness of idolatry. God is saying, I don't want you to look up to it. I want you to disciple it. And as long as we get caught in idolatry, we're spending too much time looking up to someone that we don't function in the spiritual gifting that God has put us in to disciple it. In other words, names mean something to you. Power means something to you. It could be what... You want people to believe about you. That's like wearing a sign. It's like wearing jewelry that says something and you just want people to know, but you're just not quite brave enough to say it, so you'll wear some jewelry to say it. It's like wearing a sign, although it could really mean that that is true about you. Or it could mean something else. Psychological labels. Is anyone in here ADD? Well, those kind of labels that have been given to us, it's like what's craftedly painted on the outside of that cereal box. It's supposed to describe what's in the box. Oftentimes with Christianity, you don't get that. You get a very colorful box and it's saying one thing, but when you go to pour the cereal and put some milk on that and start eating it, you just about want to heave because it's not what the box said. You're not getting the real goods. False advertisement. Christians live like that. Medical labels. Oh, those are easy to get caught up in. Hard to get rid of. And hard to get rid of. Religious labels. Oh, you're Jesus Freak. That's one of the ones they used on me in my teen years. Although I kind of thought it was a compliment. And uh, then when they started coming come out with songs of Jesus Freak, I'm like, yeah. I'm really a part of the right group. So that's the kind of things that we do in adopting identities. So how are identities f- formed? Pretty easy. Weaknesses at birth. I was born with allergies, as you know. as a bubble boy, and so I was living in this oxygen tent for five years and, and uh, in and out of there until I, my body would adjust to the environment. And certain identity attachments came with that. Well, that all came from coming into this world rejected literally by the environment. And then, parenting style. You know, it'd be like, what's wrong with you? You know, you're never going to amount to anything. Or, you know, we'd be boating in, or it could be teacher influence. I'll tell you what, secular training for your children you know, when I used the illustration a few weeks ago about, I'll tell you the best way to train a Christian is have them read the Satanic Bible. Not, how about, let's find out what, how bad the emergent church is by all of us next Sunday are going to go to an emergent church. <laughs> yeah, if you were going to evangelize, that would be a different story. And then we'd be hated again, but
1: <laughs>
0: that's what we do. Let's go test out evil so we can get educated not to do it. Not realizing that that's how the enemy places seeds inside your mortal mind. So when you expose a child to what evil looks like, that seed gets put in there. So when you take them back to a healthy environment, all they're thinking about is that emergent church service that had a lot more fun things going on than our boring church. And it eats away at the kid eats away until all of a sudden 10, 11, 12 years of age I start going, I would rather go to public school. I'd rather go to emergent church. I'd rather go to a traditional whatever. That's how it works. Don't expose your children to evil to define it. Or you're going to get it in your own household. Preserve the minds of the body members of Christ. Peer contact. Well, that's huge, isn't it? who you hang with? False doctrines? There's a few of those hanging around. Career training? You can do it. Okay, in reality there are only two identities. I think we know that. The old nature and the new nature. The old nature identifies with, uh, the old nature identity was born into you the day that you were conceived. Because Adam sinned, we all were born into the identity of the old nature. This identity is a result of birth. The new nature, on the other hand, the moment you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, born again, you receive the new nature and its identity. So whoever Christ is, is who you are. With a new identity, here's actually what happened. When the devil pulls you over and starts lying to you and saying, oh, you're great, you're this, you're that, you're stupid, or you're whatever it is that he starts throwing at you, you need to open up your wallet, your treasures, what's in your wallet. You know what I mean? And you bring that identity out and you go, I'm the Son of God. I'm holy, blameless, chosen, accepted. I am the holy temple. Of the great I am. That is really who the power of who we are in Him is whoever Jesus is, is who we have been grafted into. And that takes brokenness in order to experientially understand that. Okay, here's the identity of the old nature the flesh identifies with rebellion, which is obviously dead to God. So, and please tell us the Hebrew word picture for rebellion. Now remember, there's always, particularly with Latin, the definition is in the word. Rebellion is detachment from the belly. Once Adam chose to sin, the umbilical cord between God and Adam was cut. Every single time that umbilical cord is cut at birth, it is the physical. Natural teaching that you and I were separated from, as Walt and I studied this week, the breasted one, the El Shaddai. Detached. No more nurturing. You're on your own. Grow up and make it. That's what happened. That's rebellion. Flesh is like the grass, as it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. The voice of one saying, cry. The one said, what uh, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all the goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. Which means it's pretty, it smells good for a moment. But tomorrow, whether you cut it and preserve it in a vase or you lay there in the field, it's going to die this too will pass. And that's what the flesh is being compared to in the Bible. Flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41 says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is more strong and is stronger than God. No, that's not what it says. It says that, but the flesh is weak. There's a battle going on you. The battle of Armageddon is actually taking place in your mortal bodies. The flesh wages war against the spirit, and the spirit wages war against the flesh. There is a battle taking place. The flesh is every cell in your mortal body has sin inside of it. DNA proves it. That's called cancer did you know that everyone has cancer every human body has cancer they don't tell you you have cancer until it reaches four point one then they say you have cancer but we're all dying daily we're all that flower that's just gonna blow off into the wind because there's sin inside every cell of your body that's why those cells have to lay in a casket and go back to the dust. And we're given a brand new body. Where there is no sin inside those cells, if there's no sin inside the human cell, your body will live forever. Simple science. DNA proves it. Flesh is born of flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. John 3.6 The reason why we have to be born again is so that we can be born of the spirit. It's not something you grow up in. You can sit in pews all of your life and not be born again. Yes, You actually have to go through a birthing process To be born of the Spirit. You don't grow into it. You don't get educated into it. Those are all emergent terms that the church is using today because you love Jesus. You have to be born again, Jesus said. Did the Pharisees get what he was saying? One of them said, How can we go back into our mother's womb? And they didn't get it. The reason why they didn't get it, because if the Spirit does not touch you, you're never going to understand any verse in the entire Bible. Paul said the natural things do not understand such things. No matter how well you preach, no matter how good you are, the only time you're going to get excited about the Word of God is if it comes from an unsaved emergent preacher who is tickling the flesh who is complimenting your flower. And there's enough television preachers out there that have hundreds of thousands of people following them. All they're doing is talking about how to preserve their flower a little longer with diets, self-help books, cosmetics, plastic surgery, whatever you have to do to make that flower last a little longer. Well, you can make the flesh look pretty even in the casket. My mother's mortician proved that. But I'll tell you what, we paid good money to have that mortician make my mother look good. We hired a beautician. We hired someone to do makeup. He put some kind of gel fluid or something in her body so it all puffed up again a little bit. And God reminded me as I'm standing there looking at my mother and I held her hand. It was this stiff, cold... And there remembering, God saying to me, that Stephen is what you do to your flesh. It's still dead. You can't have relationship with it. You cannot have relationship with dead people. People who are not of the beloved. In fact, we're warned not to have relationship with people who are not of the beloved. We are to befriend them, to lead them unto Christ Jesus so we can embrace them as a family member. That's what we're supposed to do. It's supposed to drive us all day long, every day. Get Papa saved. Get Mama saved. Get Cousin saved. Even though we can't do the saving, right? Christ does it. Flesh causes suffering. Let your eyes take some time on this verse. This is out of 1 Peter 4.1, which is from our passage for today. And that is, For as much then as Christ suffered. Why well, can't you even comprehend that? I mean, I look at a movie, and I sob inside. And sometime if no one's watching me, and I'm putting something together on, you know, on the computer, where I'm just sitting in my office sobbing from a movie clip. Because I'm I'm trying to comprehend his level of suffering. I can't do it. But for as much then as Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. That is a military term. Get your hand on your sword. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, if I remember correctly, there's a powerful passage in the Bible that says this. For Jesus suffered in all things, yet without... And the reason why Christ suffered is for obedience. This is the Son of God that has to suffer in order to be obedient. And what do we do? We take pills, we exercise, we get cosmetic surgery, we get the fat trimmed off of our bellies. We we do all the stuff so we don't suffer. <coughs> I think we all need the experience of going and preparing a dead body. Just a reminder. of how ridiculous it is to cosmetically dress up the flesh to create a memory in someone's mind for respect Jesus was obedient as he was not because he was God Jesus was obedient because of the things he suffered therefore flesh Causes suffering, suffering stops us from sinning. Your broken legs, your broken arms, your broken heart, your broken everything is for the purpose of stopping you from sinning. It is to create in you obedience. And if you say, Well, I don't need that then you are saying you are above Jesus Christ. Because he said that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Not only that, he became sin. So he would be the obedience through us. See, he didn't have that. He had to be the one to become that, to give that to us. So now, he became sin, he became the perfect model of obedience, he is put inside you, so now you being obedient is either a fleshly decision, or a spirit born again experience where he's obedient through you. That's the true exchange life. Here's our deeds of the flesh out of Galatians, very popular passage of course. Uh, I myself have even written a book on it called Men in Warfare, but immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, dissensions, envy, carousing, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, disputes, factions, and drunkenness. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 is where that list comes from. Those are the primary of our flesh. There's a lot of sins under each one of those, isn't there? Probably thousands. But that is a snapshot picture of what is laying in our casket. When I died with Christ on the cross, each one of these was left on the cross. So therefore, if I choose to pick any of those up by going back to the cross, unpinning it, and becoming a drunkard again, or get into sorcery, or whatever, then we have a brand new issue on our hands. Some serious praying's got to go on. Some serious discipleship's got to go on. But this stuff was left in the casket, left on the cross. Walt and I had a major aha this week wasn't really that new to either one of us. But we had a Holy Spirit moment in my office. We, were going, we are going through every name that we can find of the name of God or the names of God. And then we're going to do Jesus. And then we're going to cover the adjectives of the Holy Spirit. But as we were taking the words... Taking them back into pictorial Hebrew, and I was drawing the pictures. God was giving us an additional depth to the meaning of these words—not just classical Hebrew definitions, but we were getting pictorial definitions. Well, you want to explain to them the the uh, vision that God gave you in our prayer? So I just ended up crying. Yeah, me too.
1: We were talking about Adonai and the the door. And as uh, Pastor Steve was praying about the door jam, as he was okay, as he was praying about the door jam, I could scarcely wait till he was through praying. I said, can I tell you what I just saw? And I saw the slave who had filled out his, uh, you know, his, his uh, term with the, the slave master. and He could be set free. But the slave said, no, I don't want to be free. I want you as my master. And the, in the word it says, the master would take the slave's ear and with an awl, pin it against the door frame you not break down it was so precious that i just i just saw that and that's just a gift of the holy spirit and uh, i really appreciate steve you and i being able to just enjoy those moments how can you explain when the holy spirit lets you into that inner inner sanctum i mean right in his his office and I I just saw the slave saying, Master, I don't want to be free. I I, I want to be your slave. And the master would take the the servant's ear and say, you're my slave for the rest of your life. Steve, it was so precious.
0: When God... Showed us that it was after a series we had studied the, the Hebrew name of God for El. Spelled E-L. Which is where we get El Shaddai, El Chim and all the rest of them. It is that El means ox. It means strong leader. So no matter where you put it. It is a statement of it's strength with the home. It is strength with The door frame. It is strength with whatever it is that you're referencing with God. It is the ox. It's the strongest of all. So here we were given a picture of the master is inside this this room. Then there was wood placed around the door frame. And that wood, well for rabbis anyway, was made of a certain kind of wood. Like the cross that Jesus Christ was nailed to, was prophetically stated wood. So to have that servant who was released from the field because he had worked for his master for seven years, he comes back to this master and says, I don't want to be free from you. I want you to be my master. And, And the master says, well, Okay, well, you're going to have to be a bond slave. A volunteer slave. But it's forever if you get your ear pierced. I, I want it. I, I want that. The list you're looking at right now is inside this lobe. It's my flesh. And it had to be that, that ear... In which I heard the message of the gospel of my salvation, had to be put up against that wood and nailed all to that flesh had to be had to be pushed into the wood before that slave could be a bond servant that could enter the dalet, enter the door to come in and dine with the L with the great ox, the master. I mean, that's it. That's the exchange life. We were sitting there, we were going, God literally spelled out the exchange life in His names. You cannot get into that room unless all of that has been pierced and made a part of that wood. Then you may come in forever. It's an eternal seal if you get through this door. But that blood that you see, Stephen, on the outside of that dilette, that blood that you see is even to repel you. You cannot come inside this house unless your flesh is nailed to the door frame. It's the only way you're getting in. My blood is even to repel you, Stephen. And this is the only way into this room is through co-crucifixion. You've got to die to get in the door. Don't tell me that salvation grows on you like a wart. Don't do it. I'm not going there. It doesn't emergently pop out of you like a flower because you've been listening to sermons all your life. It is a decision of please take my earlobe. Do that thing you were saying has to be done. Well, it's going to hurt. Just do it. Pierce me. Okay. And the master takes that all, puts it up to your ear and pierces. Then he puts a stud in your ear so you never ever forget the flesh that was taken out and put in to that cross so every time you walk by that cross it'd be like the 12 tribal leaders walking by that pile of rocks that God told them to go into take out of the base of the Jordan pile those 12 rocks up here and he said every time you bypass this pile of rocks there remember what I have done for you this day So every time I walk by a cross or I see a cross on someone's neck or I see a cross in a a picture or whatever, I need to stop and go, my flesh has been pounded into the fabric of that cross. I am free. Why go in there and dig it out when he went through so much work to pound it in to the fabric of that cross? The birthing canal is that doorframe of the cross. The good news is what we just said. Galatians 5.24 says, And they that are of Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh earlobe with the passions and the lusts that come with the ear. And I'm telling you, your ears cause you more problems than anything else on your body your ears and your eyes. It'll turn to the tongue. I can steer a ship. But see what you listen to, that garbage you listen to, the music you listen to, the sermons you listen to that are a little half twisted, all this stuff has a major impact on your belief system. This is a diagram you guys are very familiar with. For those of you who are listening online, possibly even looking at the slides online through the PDF I told you about, uh, if you also go back to my library, you're going to see a discipleship manual that uh, has over 160 diagrams that communicate the exchange life. It's free, it's for you, it's a gift. Please go back and check that out. But that diagram, bring it back here. Is you start out in Adam, you start out in Adam, Genesis five twenty three, and we basically go to hell. We cannot go past, uh, go or collect two hundred bucks. It is a pathway all of sin and will go to the pit of hell. There's just no other way around it, unless you have this born again spirit, born again experience. So you can be of the spirit. So now the new identity. The spirit man identifies with Christ's nature. The spirit man is alive to God. And it is actually dead to the old man. The old man doesn't want anything to do with this, this, this new identity. Not at all. Some people try to mix it. Oil and water. Living water doesn't like that. It doesn't mix very well. The spirit man has the mind of Christ. That's for certain. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. The spirit man bears witness of the Holy Spirit, which is Romans 8.16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The only way to determine if someone is truly born again is the spirit must bear witness. I don't care how polished your presentation is of your testimony, it matters not to me, nor should it to any other body member. It is the spirit of the living God himself that bears witness with whether you have been born again. Spirit man has power, love, discipline, which is what we find in Second Timothy 1.7. Now here's that same diagram, hell is no longer an option for us because we have been transferred, translated from the kingdom of darkness, which is this, to the actual, why is this thing going automatically, to the kingdom of light, which is the life of Christ. Why? Because we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but the life of Christ within us because his life is the eternal life. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why being crucified with Christ becomes a reality for you today. I want to give you an illustration the Lord gave me, as I was sharing this with a counselee one day. He could not get a handle on predestination. He could not get a handle on foreknowledge. And I said, okay, we're going to get in the airplane, we're going to go for a ride. So we're in the airplane. We're going for this wonderful ride. And we see this semi coming down the freeway. And we see a tree that is laying across the freeway. And there's a hill in between those two. There are already three cars piled up. Because when they come over the hill, it's impossible for them to stop in time. And they're crashing upon each other. We're in an airplane. We're looking down... And we have foreknowledge of what is about to happen. The truck driver is absolutely clueless that he's about to die. Now, if we had some way of communicating with the truck driver, we'd say, apply the brakes now. But we didn't. We're in an airplane and we're feeling frustrated because this truck driver is about to, hit, to, to crash, probably kill a couple of people that aren't quite dead yet. And we're watching this whole thing happen and we have foreknowledge of what's about to happen, but it's all in the present. And if I would rattle off to the truck driver, if I had a way of communicating to him and say, bro, you're about to die. He'd be like, who do you think you are, God. No, but I'm in an airplane and I can see the whole thing. Yeah. Gotcha. Thanks, good buddy. The truck comes over the hill, comes down, panics, slams on his brakes, the trailer swings around and crushes everyone who is struggling to keep their life. And we land the plane. Don't tell me God can't see What's down the road this afternoon in your life? Don't tell me that. Don't lock him into my reality. You look at God and he's able to stretch out clear beyond the seven churches. And forever into eternal life that way. And forever into eternal life the other way. And he's able to see it all at one time. And we think 70 years of fighting the flesh is such a long time. And God goes, Oh, Stephen, you're a vapor. Your your thousand years is one day to me. This is seven days I've got laid out here. Starting of the highway, the ending of the highway for you humans. Seven days. It just happens to be a thousand years for you each day. And how many 70s are in your thousand? Do the math. This is nothing. He sees what's happening in the end times. He sees Ishmael group rising up again. He sees the the news collapsing because they don't know what to do anymore. He sees all these people from the heavenly view all at once. How do I know this is an absolute truth I'm telling you? He said, John, come with me. I want to show you something. There, get your pencil handy. Oh, by the way, your heart, you're going to feel like collapsing when you see what I see. Come on, John. Well, he didn't do it that way. John just got so overwhelmed and tired, he fell asleep. Guy picks him up, stands him beside him, says, you got that pencil handy? And he's like, how how did John respond when he saw Christ? He fell on his face and he pretended as if he was dead. Don't talk to me about pencils. Where am I? What what is going on? Oh, this is Christ. Weak knee to his face. I'm gonna if I just play like I'm dead, he won't. You know? And Jesus says. And God took the fear out of him. He's not get the pencil. Oh, okay. <laughs> what, are we, what are we looking at here, anyway? Whoa, there's Moses. No, we're not writing Moses down. Well, who are these people? He can't describe this, so God gives it to him, and he's seen. It's called the Book of Revelation. He's seen as God sees you and the world that's how he's seen now when they canonized that book they dumped it into the New Testament the worst thing you can do everything is in Trinity even the Word of God the Old Testament the Old Covenant the New Covenant and the revelation of eternity and God said write this down John He who adds to this book I'm giving you or deletes from it takes this big book off the shelf says I will delete his name out of the book of life. Don't mess with eternity. Not with your sciences your clever ideas your emergent thoughts of trying to figure this book out leave it Intact, Because I am the only one that can understand it. And I've given you a snapshot of my view. Predestination and the arguments thereof. Honestly, pastors, you are foolish to argue this. You're trying to stuff God into a worldview that doesn't exist in colleges. This is God's eyes. And it appears to be a fortune teller. It's God's eyes. That's all it is. I can do it right from an airplane. On a limited fashion. That's how it works. That's the life we're put into. Deeds of the new nature. This is fun. Martin Luther once said, the moment I considered Christ in myself, as to, I am gone. Not only that, you're a liar. It's kind of like a wife saying to a husband, or a husband saying to a wife, well, that's your opinion. Well, I am, we have a 50-50 marriage. I, I am of my own individual name. And I look to the gal and I say, what name's that? Well, if you've noticed on our checks, we have... Uh, John Smith and then my husband's name. Well who's Smith? What's my name? No, that's your dad's name. So you had your dad's name on your check? You see, that's what we're saying. That's what even Martin Luther caught on to. As soon as we say we're two, It's over. It's done. We don't get it. It's not Steve Finney and Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Paul said in the last days of his ministry, he says, I don't care to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all I want to know. And then the whole chapter is filled with, he can't speak very well anymore, and he can't. He's just like dumbed down to say, a simple statement of, it's all I want to know. It's my husband and what he did for me. It's all I want to know. Now we fight for our independence and have to prove that we're nothing to try to be something. Deeds of the new. are You are very familiar with this. Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering. Could someone change that to short-suffering? Ian, will you change that to short-suffering instead of long-suffering? You're promised long-suffering. Talk to Ken. He lives with that kind of thing every day of his life. Talk to all of us. We live with that every day of our lives. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Those are out of Galatians 5.22, of course. Out with the old and in with the new. Now the diagram shows us that being crucified with Christ we were buried with Christ and we were raised with him and seated in heaven at literally the right hand of God Himself now admitting that we're at the end even when I put this slide together again I prayed the Selfers' prayer this is not something you pray once and you go on with the rest of your life and go Oh, I've been there, done, I prayed that. I've been through that message a couple times. No. To come by the cross and look at the cross coming out of the earth that has been defiled and cursed and you see this cross and Jesus isn't there anymore but the cross is still there and you get up and examine it closely and you see pieces of flesh of millions of people stuck to that that stinky, ranky, Cross, because that's how flesh gets when it's dying, doesn't it? Stinks. That's the true picture of post-Christianity cross. That cross has got millions of pieces of flesh that have been awed to that wood, that delet, the doorway to the kingdom of God. And we should look at that cross once in a while and go, Oh God, I am not these things. You should revisit the cross. Daily revisit the cross. Deny yourself, pick up that stinky cross and carry it daily. It's not who you are, it's to remind you who you're not. Our flesh, we have to carry it around every single day. We have to carry it around because until we get our brand new glorified bodies, thank you Jesus for it coming, until we get that new body, we are called and required by God to literally carry that ranky, filthy, stinky flesh. Until we come to the point of inheriting our new bodies. He already gave us our new spirit. He is renewing our mind daily and our bodies are going to uh, we're going to be given brand new bodies and we will be complete. No more bypasses of the ranky, stinky cross. Then we can put it in gold as a symbol over the last supper saying because Of this entrance of the dilat. You have this. My bride. Enjoy. Pick up the fourth cup with me. And he will drink. From that fourth cup. Once. And for all. And never again drink from a cup. The four cups will be Completed. Online listeners, I'm challenging you right now. I know that I know in my heart. There are many of you that have been listening. You have no idea what I just talked about. You need to get on your knees and you need to plead with God to have the Holy Spirit bring revelation to your mind of what it means to die to yourself. Pick up that cross and follow Jesus Christ. Not as a listener, not as one who does it by law, but by the Holy Spirit living inside them. And that cannot happen until you become born again. You may have one of those born again messages or prayers on your heart right now, and if you don't, we have one written out on our website. Go and check it out. But those of you who are experiencing conviction right now about praying to get rid of this focus on yourself, I am going to pray this prayer. I hereby surrender everything that I am and have and ever will be. I take my hands off of my life and release every relationship to you, every habit, every goal, my health, my wealth, and everything that means anything. I surrender it all to you. By faith, I take my place at the cross, believing that when the Lord Jesus was crucified, according to your word, I was crucified with him. And when I was buried I, when you were buried, I was buried. When you were raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead. I deny myself the right to rule and reign in my own life and take up the cross, believing that I was raised from the dead and seated at your right hand I thank you for saving me from my sins and myself from this moment on I am trusting you to live your life in me through me instead of me to do what I can't do quit what I can't quit start what I can't start and most of all to be what I can't be I am trusting you to renew my mind heal my damaged emotions in your time I thank you now by faith for accepting me in the Lord Jesus by you Lord Jesus for forgiving me by your grace your freedom your joy your victory your righteousness literally has been given to me as an inheritance even if I don't feel anything after this prayer I know that your words are true Your word is true. I am counting on your spirit to do what your word says. To set me free from myself. That your resurrection life may be lived out through me. And that you may receive all the glory. And of course, Jesus, you are my groom. And I thank you as my husband. And praise you for the victory that you have given me right now. And, of course, I pray in the ever so power and present name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of you who have prayed this prayer, you're going to need some discipleship. We do discipleship online, so feel free to contact me. And we have ministries all over the world that we can get you connected with. Please send me an email at at iomamerica.org, And I will make sure you get connected to a disciple no matter what country lo- you live in. Thank you for listening today. And Father, I thank you for the truth that you gave us to set us free. And I look forward, Father God, for the fruit that comes automatically through preaching and teaching and living the truth. And we just respectfully thank you in the name of Jesus amen if you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family integrated fellowships please log on to our website that is www.heartlandfellowships.org we thank you for joining us
1: a back floor couch bus.